So once again, welcome everybody to 2022. Yay! <laughs> but hopefully, it's a better year. This year, I saw a meme which said 2022 can also be read as 2022. Wow, 2020 was the year when COVID started. A huh? terrible year for all of us. And I hope and I pray, I think all of us have the same desire that the events in 2020 will not be repeated this year. <clears throat> we all need this fresh uh, new beginning, right? A fresh new beginning and no better way than to look at Abraham and, and how God called him at a fresh new beginning. And this will also guide us as we explore the church theme for this year, The God Who Calls. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. Verses 1 to 9, let me read the scripture for us first. The Lord had said to Ephraim, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Cana, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on towards the hill east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev, which is the desert. This is the word of the Lord. Come, let us pray. O Holy Spirit, reveal your word to us today. Importantly, reveal your will for us not just as individuals, but also for our families, importantly for this spiritual family here, Amokum Methodist Church. So we commit today's sermon into your hands. Grant us the anchor to reveal who you are, God, that our obedience truly is anchored in knowing how wonderful a God we are following. So bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you don't already know, Abraham was the original name of uh, Abraham. We typically remember Abraham, right? But his original name was Abraham. And he was instructed by God to begin life afresh in a new place, just as we begin a new year. The Lord said to him, Go from your country, your people, your lots, your father's household to the land, I will show you. But for good order, I think it's important to point out to you that the story of Abraham actually doesn't begin here in Genesis chapter 12. It begins in the end, towards the end of chapter 11, beginning at verse 27 of chapter 11. Let me read it for us. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Earl of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, and she was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishka. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Look here, verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Earl of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. When they came to Haran, they settled there, and it tells us he lived 20, 205 years and then he died in Haran. <clears throat> so what most people don't realize is that God's call to Ephraim didn't come from a vacuum. 
he actually came about through his father, in some ways at least. It wasn't God who first told Abraham to go to Canaan. Maybe not, maybe, if there's a possibility. It seemed that his father, Terah, did play a part in it. And there's this multi-generational effect that I want to talk about in this sermon later on. So look again at verse 31. It says that somehow, for some unknown reason, Terah, on the way to Haran, he decided uh, to, to Canaan, he decided to settle down in Haran. We don't know the full extent why. Instead of pursuing the original dream, he just settled down and he unfortunately passed on there. So the question is, did God revive Terah's dream for Abraham? Abraham's father Terah's dream. Did God revive it and tell him to go, continue this journey? Or did God already give Abraham this instruction while he was back in Ur? And that's why in the very first place, Abraham went along with his father's journey to Canaan. Genesis uh, chapter 12 verse 1 actually uh, says the Lord had said. It can also be said as the Lord said. So there are basically in the scholarly debates two possible interpretations. The first group of scholars take the view <coughs> and they cite passages like Deuteronomy chapter 26 verse 5 where Abraham was connected to the place Aram. He was known as a wandering Aramean and other accounts in Genesis also show us that Isaac and Jacob married, married Arameans. So Aram is this place that is linked to the Damascus area. Later on in the map, you will see this, Damascus area. And the Arameans will later on be linked to the Assyrians. So that's uh, one possibility. And these scholars also quote Acts chapter 7, verse 4, which implies that God sent Abraham to Canaan only after the death of his father. That is one possibility. The other group of possibility, the other scholars, hold a second view, and they cite passages like Genesis chapter 15 verse 7 and Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 7, where God specifically said he brought Abram out of Earl of the Chaldeans, just as Genesis chapter 11 verse 31 records for us today. And so the Hebrew word, just for information, for Chaldeans is Kazdim, and they were people who lived along the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers. So the word Chaldean is actually quite a late development, and it refers to the Babylonians. And so the debate continues because you can cite passages from both angles. And by the way, that's typically how the Bible works functions. There's always this dialogue going on, uh, even though <clears throat> it's all the Word of God, but yet there are always so-called uh, views in tension. But really it doesn't matter because whether God first spoke to Abraham back when he was in Ural of the Chaldeans, or he spoke to him in Haran, right, where he was based for a while, the whole point is that God is the one. God is the one who spoke. And that's the main emphasis. We shouldn't fault anyone who adopts one view or another. Maybe you have your own personal view as well. Because uh, at the end of the day, this is the path that Abraham took. He journeyed from Ur to Haran and then eventually to the Promised Land. So it's no surprise that people can be a little bit confused as to his identity. Just to give you a simple illustration, how do people address Jesus? Is he known as Jesus of Bethlehem or Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth, right? But isn't he born in Bethlehem? We see the map. Bethlehem and Nazareth are not exactly next to each other. right? There's a distance they need to travel. So, Yet, at the same time, does it really matter? Do we call him Jesus of Bethlehem? We just celebrated Christmas. Or Jesus of Nazareth? No, not really, right? The main thing, yes, there may be some historical factors there. But the main thing is that Jesus was born. And so in the same way, it really doesn't matter where or when God first called out to Abraham whether back in Ur or, or he was in Aram. Look, if you look at the map, essentially he started, yes, from Ur of the Chaldeans. First figure on your top left, 
That's where he started. And then, as scripture tells us, together with his dad, they went to this place called Haran, the second picture on the right. So that's Haran there. And then, so you see the Tigris River, Euphrates River. That's where the Earl of the Chaldeans were located. And then he had to go through this place called Damascus. If you look at the third map at the bottom, so he goes through the modern-day Syria in order to go to the Promised Land. So he has to go through Damascus. But to focus on these details really is to miss the point. The point, again, I say, is that God is the one. However, he's associated with, whether with Damascus or Haran or Earl, it's are small details. What is perhaps most theologically significant about mentioning these two places? Like I said, there's a dialogue in the scripture. Is it from the Chaldeans or the Arameans in Abraham's history and story? Is that both the Babylonians and Assyrians were enemies of God at crucial periods of Israel's history. And this is the most important theological point. Both the Assyrians and the Babylonians invaded Israel. First, the Assyrian Empire, followed by the Babylonian Empire. And so, for God to call Abraham, the first point is this, God is the gracious one who calls out even to his enemies. God's call is aimed at redemption. He called out to Abraham, so-called the forefather, from an enemy state. Actually, we shouldn't be too surprised at this, because Romans chapter 5, verse 10 tells us, For if, while we were enemies of God, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? And so again, first point for today's sermon, we must bear in mind characteristics about this God who calls. He is a God who calls us, and His call is aimed towards redemption. His aim at redemption. Abraham was called out of enemy territory so that he would be blessed and the nations would be blessed through him. So we too were also enemies of God. But by God's grace and his mercy, he called us and redeemed us. That's the first call God issues to all of us. A call of redemption and salvation. While we were in sin, Christ died for us and God redeemed us. By the way, this dimension of redemption is very important for all of us in our relationship with each other. Especially when it comes to disciplining our children, we must always bear in mind it cannot be purely punitive. There must always be a dimension of redemption to reflect God our Father. <clears throat> so we mustn't let our anger get the better of us, especially as parents. Although I must confess I'm not perfect in this area. Many times I lost my temper as well. Uh, let my temper God, get the better of me. <clears throat> I guess many of us were brought up you know, in an environment where we were given a lot of punitive punishments. I remember I was caned a lot when I was younger for laziness, disobedience. It brought about outward conformity, but not the inward change. It was only when I knew God more and more that I was changed from the inside out. So a word to the parents, grandparents, educators, uh, caregivers. Remember to always have the dimension of redemption even in our disciplining. By sitting them down, afterwards to explain to them the purpose and the reason behind this punishment that was meted out. And I try not to use the cane yet until it's very serious. But generally, if I need to punish, I use my hands and hit their palms. So in that way, I can illustrate to them, as it's painful for you, it's also painful for me. So that reflects the Father heart of God as well. It's not that God loves to punish us. No, He has to. But when He does it, it's also painful for Him, just as Christ died for us. So I will explain to them, for example, <clears throat> if they are lying, I will you know, punish them for it. And I'll explain to them, Satan is the father of lies, whereas God is the God of truth. 
And so the reason I don't want you to lie is because we don't want to be the children of Satan. Instead, we are children of God. And then I give the illustration myself, example. I'll ask them, hey, have I lied to you? And the answer is no. Right? So then I tell them, don't follow Satan. Follow your earthly father, follow your heavenly father. There must be a redemptive element even in our disciplining. So God's call is always aimed at redemption, point number one. Point number two, God's call is aimed at blessing. God's desire is actually to bless. Let's return to our scripture text for today. Notice how many times the words bless or blessings are used in just two short verses, verses two and three. Just as I preached last year that God is fundamentally happy in his being, God is always looking to bless. It is in his nature to be generous and to bless. So look again at promises of God to Abraham at the beginning of this relationship. Verses 2 to 3, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. First time. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's God's heartbeat and desire. Notice here, Abraham hasn't even done anything for God when God spoke to him. He hasn't done anything at all. Neither did God require Abraham to do something first before he blesses him. No, it's God unilaterally deciding to take it upon himself to pronounce huge promises of blessings to Abraham. So it's God's nature to bless, to be generous. Okay, wait here, Pastor Anthony. Doesn't God also call people to repentance? Well, the answer is yes, of course he calls people to repentance. But repentance isn't the end goal. Yes, repentance is important and is the first step. And it should be the ongoing step as well with the Lord as God reveals more and more of our sins, the more we need to repent and be purified. So it's also an ongoing process we need to constantly do as Christians. But repentance isn't the end goal. Blessing is the end goal. Redemption, these are the end goals of God. Moreover, if we truly understand repentance as defined by Scripture, it is not just saying sorry for the wrongdoing or even turning over a new leaf. Although repentance does include all these dimensions, biblical repentance from the Greek word metanoia is basically a renewed mind, a changed perspective. You see things completely differently. And so one sign that we are the renewed people of God, people who are truly repented, repent, you know, uh, uh, <clears throat> the renewed people of God is to see God rightly as he is revealed in scripture. That's the sign of our repentance. We see now God correctly as revealed by scripture, it is not colored, you know, by popular culture or people's opinions of who God is or who God isn't. We must always return to the word of God to help us understand who God is. And scripture tells us he is a God who blesses. Now, perhaps there may be some of us in our midst, you know, we may take offense at a God who is so generous, who is so good at pardoning and blessing others, especially people who don't deserve it. When God blesses us, we are thankful, oh, I praise the Lord. But when God blesses others, we become grumpy and say, how come God you bless this person when this person doesn't deserve it? But as I preached on Christmas last year, not too long ago, right? Jesus revealed essentially a prodigal God. A prodigal God who forgives, who restores and even blesses abundantly. We covered this sermon series by Tim Keller a few years ago. So I pray for all of us again that we will have our minds renewed. Metanoia, change, renewed. That we will not be like the elder brother in the parable, sulking in anger when God chooses to bless and to redeem and to forgive. Instead, let us reflect our Heavenly Father who is rich in mercy, generous, kind. That is who our Father in heaven is. 
Another parable that Jesus told, the parable of the workers in the field, where those who were hired at the 11th hour, they were all given the same wage as those who began working from the start of the day. At the end, the people, again, like us human beings, right, grumble, complain towards God, it's not fair, how come we work longer than them, but then they got the same blessing as us, same reward at the end. And how did Jesus say? Why do you find fault towards the God who is generous? Essentially, that's what Jesus was saying. God is generous, so don't fault him for that. That is his nature. If you are still in doubt, look at the Levitical blessing that Aaron, the brother of Moses, was commanded by God to pronounce on the Israelites. A blessing that pastors we like to use for the benediction. But let me read the entire context for us. Numbers chapter 6. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. See, it's bracketed front and back with blessings. That's God's desire and nature. His call is aimed at blessing us, not cursing us. For some years before I decided to obey God's call to enter into pastoral ministry, I struggled and wrestled with God because I felt like I would be shortchanged, you know, by God for answering this call. Pastor Mihi was my pastor who journeyed with me through this call to ministry and very glad uh, to serve alongside her again. But the reason why I struggled and wrestled with God is because I had a wrong understanding of who God was. Because of my own family betrayal when I was little, when I was young, I was afraid that God would also betray and sabotage me as, a, as his, uh, his child. <clears throat> but since then, I have repented. Repentant in a sense, I have changed my view of who God is. As I walk closer with God more and more, as I read the scriptures more and more, I'm convinced that it is truly true that God is good all the time. That is what the scripture reveals to us, even if it's a challenging call and difficult by human standards. I'm not saying everything is easy. We just recited the words at the covenant renewal. Put me to nothing, put me to everything, right? Let me be delayed aside or employed, whatever it is. It may be difficult. Some are pleasing to Christ and our desires. Some others, we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. But even if it's a difficult call, at the end, it is always good. Because God is good. And here's the thing we need to recognize. God's blessings are never for us to hoard, to enjoy merely for ourselves. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are always blessed to be a blessing. Notice the last phrase of God's promise of blessing to Ephraim. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, through you. We are blessed only to be a blessing. Our blessings are supposed to win people to God. If the world can use money to win friends, Jesus says, how much more than we as Christians should win people, not just by bribing them so much, but using money well to win people for the kingdom of God. So we must be generous to reflect our God who is generous and never keep those blessings for ourselves. Point number three about God's call. God's call is aimed at multi-generations. Not just as individuals, but multi-generations. Remember how Abraham was at first following his dad to, to Taran when God called him, if you take that particular interpretation. So God was the one, right, who first led maybe Tyra, his dad, towards Canaan. And the very first promise made by God to Abraham, if you look at the scripture text again, God said, I will make you into a great nation. 
only one man, but the promise is to become a great nation, a multi-generation, right? How can a nation be built only on one person alone? No, it takes multi-generations to build a nation. And when God revealed himself to Moses, before he revealed his divine name, Yahweh, how did God introduce himself? He said, I am the God of your forefathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. That's God's self-introduction. You meet someone for the first time, normally you introduce your name, but of course God has other purposes, his plans are higher than us. But he revealed himself first of all as, I am the God of your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three generations and more even. So God, first of all, revealed himself as a multi-generational God. He cares for every single generation. And we really need to go deeper to ponder about this implication. Typically, we just think of it as, oh yes, Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you and your household will be saved. And we cling on to that promise, and that's wonderful. We should continue to pray and believe for our non-believing Christian uh, family members, right, to come to know the Lord. And nothing wrong with that. God's call is indeed aim at redemption, point number one, which I made earlier. But the biblical basis for this belief in family salvation is because God is a covenantal God, a God of multi-generations from the time of Abraham. In fact, the whole book of Genesis, we will cover this in the pulpit series, revolves around this theme of a multi-generational God, a covenantal God who is faithful throughout the generations, not just to Abraham, but also to Isaac and then to his grandson Jacob, who by most standards thoroughly doesn't deserve it. But God is a multi-generational God of redemption. The covenant renewal service we just participated in, some of us, it reminds us once again of God's faithfulness for all generations. Indeed, there is so much to be said about spiritual legacy, spiritual heritage. I remember five years ago about that. I preached a sermon on that. I think it's still on the website. You can listen to that. I just want to point out here that Satan you know, destroys families because he knows that families reflect the heart of God. They reflect, importantly, God himself, because God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity, the song we just sung earlier as well. A multi-generational family, every generation following after the Lord, is one of the greatest powerful witnesses for Jesus. And that's why Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy by destroying family units. If you look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, it has a rather puzzling uh, phrase. For this reason, verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Verse 15, it says, Paul writes, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. What was Paul thinking about when he wrote this short phrase? In English, you may see the link, a bit hard, but it's not impossible. But in the Greek, the connection is clear. The Greek word for father is pater, from where we get the word paternal. And the Greek word for family is patria, from where we get the word patriarchal. And so it's clearly seen that the first three letters are identical. P-A-T, all begins with P-A-T. And that's why Paul says, every family is on, in heaven and on earth is named after the father. The patria is named after the pater, named after our heavenly father. And so the whole point Paul was making is that God is father, full stop. And by definition, because he's father, there is family. It flows from his being. Family flows from God's very being. 
So family is not just on his heart because he designed it. It's not just because he desires multi-generations, because he's the God of life, but essentially that is his being, and we reflect him. I pray for ourselves that God will help us to reclaim this important dimension of family, not just for our own biological family, but also for us as a spiritual family, that we grow to become intergenerational, multi-generational as a church. May God help us. Now, for a large part of this sermon, I focus on the God who calls. And indeed, that's the emphasis. God calls. Not I call you, ah. God is the one calling. God is always our starting point, And God will have different calls for each of us. Some calls for, you know, us as a community. But each of us, we have our own callings from God. So, but before we end, I think it's also important to look at Abraham's responses to this God who calls, to the God who promises why was Abraham willing uh, to follow? It's because he knows who God is. God is good. But how did God, uh, Abraham respond? Number one, first of all, Abraham obeyed, despite not knowing when, where, how, and so forth. I think among all the peoples on earth, we Singaporeans are probably one of the most anxious of all people groups when it comes to a lack of details and clarity. For many of us, this lack of clarity right, really frightens us. We like to plan everything. Those of you who stayed overseas, you interacted with other countries and cultures, you know efficiency really is the brand name of Singaporeans. <laughs> efficiency, clarity, fantastic. And so it really is very difficult for us when we don't know when, don't know where, don't know how. <laughs> These things frighten us. Whether it's planning for your even just a meal, you know, you must make reservation, you go to the zoo, must book your slot beforehand, everything, right? You have clarity or long holidays, or moving house. We just want that clarity. But Abraham obeyed without knowing many details. And the reason is because he knows, ultimately, God is good. And so as we enter this new year, 2022, we may not know what the future holds. Importantly, we know who holds the future. And that's the most assuring thing of all. When we put our hands into the hands of the Almighty God. We are like little children. As we run this race, God is there with us. We don't know how this race will pan out, whether we'll go through mountains or valleys, but important is to know that God is the one holding our hands. That's the most important. Young children don't really need to know where they're going. They just simply trust in God, their father, right? their parents, to bring them along. That's point number one, Abraham worshipped. Uh, second point, Abraham worshipped the Lord wherever he went. He built an altar to the Lord at Shechem, when the Lord appeared to him, this time God appeared to him and said, I will give your offspring this land. And so Abraham worshipped the Lord because God appeared to him, gave him another confirmation of the promise. But the scripture also tells us he built another altar when he went to this place called Bethel on the west, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And so the point here is that whether God appeared to Abraham or not, he worshipped God. To build an altar to God means to worship God. So God appeared to him miraculously. Wow, worship God. God didn't appear. He just moved on with his life and his journey. He continued to worship God. And so that's the lifestyle of worship we must all practice. May we be a people who worship God. Whether God reveals to us in supernatural ways or not, we must always be a people of worship. Third, Abraham waited patiently for the fulfillment of God's promises. There's a small little detail I didn't pick up earlier when I read the scripture passage. And that is when uh, Abraham saw the land was still occupied by the Canaanites and he didn't overthrow them. He knows that God has promised him the land, but when he saw the Canaanites there, he didn't take matters in his own hands and wipe them out. No, 
He waited patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Hebrews 11 tells us why. Verse 8, By faith Abraham, when called to a place, to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. See, we need to learn from Abraham to have the faith to believe, even though we don't know all the details. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. So even as God promises us, it doesn't mean life will be perfectly smooth and easy. He didn't live in a palace. He lived in tents, makeshift tents. right? So even as God promises, doesn't mean everything will be nice and rosy. Yes, God blesses, but his blessing may not turn out in the way that we expect. And then verse 10, for he was looking, the reason that Abraham had faith was because he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So Abraham knew that the most important factor is God himself. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards over the city, the watchers watch over in vain. And that's why Abraham waited and never took matters in his own hands. He knows that God will fulfill the promise one day. So family and friends, is there a promise that you have received from the Lord and you are holding on and clinging on? Be patient. Learn to walk with Him closely, daily. Continue to worship Him and not run ahead of God. Be patient. The one major time Abraham was impatient, it led to the birth of Ishmael. And so our human impatience can have very severe and devastating consequences. Let me now end by introducing our anchor verse for this year from the same chapter of Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for or the confidence in what we hope for and assurance and conviction of things not seen. Assurance of things hoped for and conviction of things not seen. Or confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. So Abraham is mentioned a lot. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, mentioned many times. And there's one concept that repeatedly jumps out. And it's faith. And what's faith? The scripture tells us, you are sure. You are assured. You're confident. Even though you don't see it, you know it's true. You have this conviction. You don't see it, but you know it's coming and it's true. And again, in the same chapter, Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the currency that is most valuable in the spiritual realm for us. To trust God, to believe God, and he says here, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Our God is a rewarder. Again, challenging all of us to renew and repent of our always of God. If you don't know God as a rewarder, you need to come back to the scriptures again. He is a God who rewards and blesses. So let us have the faith to put our hands into God's hands. Even though you don't see the road ahead, but you know the one who is holding your hand. And that's the most important thing, to trust God above all. To summarize Abraham's responses, here are three key words. First of all, obedience. Second, reverence. And third, patience. In three dimensions as well, the past, the present, and the future. If God has already spoken to you in the past, obey, don't delay, don't keep procrastinating, waiting, just obey because God is good. If you are already on the path of obeying, God spoke to you, you have obeyed Him, 
you are still on this path of obedience, which is great. But as you do so, do so with reverence and worship. Continue to worship the Lord. The one you're obeying, let's continue to worship Him. Worship at every opportunity, just as Abraham did, to build altars wherever he went. And then for the future, as we await the fulfillment of God's call and promises, let's wait with patience to see the results. Don't run ahead of God. Follow His timing. We will just continue to walk closely with God, worship in the meantime, and always obey Him every step of the way. So Abraham responded with obedience, reverence, and patience. May all of us continue to walk with God in the same way. Let us pray. Papa God, we thank you that you are the one who calls out to us. You called us when we were in darkness to call us into your marvelous light, the call of redemption. We thank you that the call comes not just with this call to self, uh, the self-denial, but also for the richness of rewards and joys promised by you. So help us to persevere with patience. We thank you that this call is not only for us as individuals, but also for our families and the church. We pray, O oh Lord, that you help us, whether as individuals or as a community, that we will always walk with you with obedience, reverence, and patience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.